Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Finance, Real Estate 320. This happens to be show number 22. And what we're going to be doing today is continuing our discussion, if you will, of uh, government uh, financing programs. Last time that we uh, met, or the last show, we were talking about FHA. We're going to finish off that topic today. There's a couple things that I want to show you but we're just about done with that particular topic. Then we're going to be talking about the Veterans Administration, or VA. And then finally, if time permits, uh, and we can squeeze it into this show, we're going to be talking about the CalVet program, California Veterans Administration program. So again, uh, a couple things that I want to do uh, to finish off the FHA part of the program, uh, and I'll be showing you this on my document camera here in a minute, is that the last time that we met, I had talked about the fact that uh, there was a form that was contained in this chapter, Chapter 11, that uh, had to deal with the fact that or led you to believe that the FHA appraiser had to do a home inspection at the same time they were doing the appraisal. And I think at that time I mentioned to you the fact that, you know, that prior to the show I had spent quite a bit of time going on the Internet, looking for the form, trying to find out where things were located, and couldn't find the form. So in the meantime, I called one of our uh, real estate appraisers that we work with here in the uh, program, uh, Jeff Webb, who's probably been in the business about 25 or 30 years, and I talked to him about it. And what he basically did is he's told me that this method or this what this requirement for a uh, for a real estate appraiser to do on an FHA type of loan is no longer a requirement. And as he explained it to me, at one time, the concept behind it was that people that were buying a home under the FHA program, there was a pretty, could be a fairly high probability that they may end up being in, uh, maybe not make the payments and that FHA would be, end up with the house back. And one of the things that, according to what he had said, is that FHA wanted to make sure of, and this is pretty much before we really had home inspectors as we understand them today, but the idea was VA or FHA wanted to make sure that they weren't getting a home back that had any kind of severe problems with it. So in other words, if they had made the loan or, you know, the lender had made the loan, they had went ahead and insured the loan and then, for whatever reason, the person that was buying it a couple of years later ended up, you know, not being able to make the payments and said, you know, and FHA ended up taking the house back. They did not want to be in a position, position where, for example, the, the foundation was crumbling. Uh, and that was something that could have been discovered a long time ago or there was an electrical problem or whatever. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to take a second and point out that form and let you know that according to my most current source now, that's no longer a requirement. So I'll just move over here on the document camera so that you can see this. And just just so that you know, this was a program that they had. This is the file that they had called Notice to the Lender. And this was where the home, uh, home inspector, but the appraiser, was required at one time or another to do inspections and do things such as, uh, you know, they would have to do things like provide a description, uh, you know, if some if there was a problem, for example, was there evidence of any kind of sinkholes, any operating or oil gas wells within 300 feet, uh, any oil or gas wells within 75 feet. That was some of the things that they had to do. Over here would be things like grading and draining drainage problems where they were looking for the fact that, hey, you know what, uh, you know, 
what the problem is is that, you know, every year the house floods because the drainage around the house is not correct. For example, a lot of times houses will have where, you know, the water comes down, and because it's not has a, a, a path, in other words, the, the path of least resistance for the water ends up to be going underneath the house. And many times that will call, call, uh, cause mold and mildew and some other issues. So anyway, this requirement, if you will, for the appraiser to do this anymore, according to Jeff Webb, is not required. It's not, in, in other words, they, they, they don't accept the files. You know, it's not, you don't do it anymore. The people that would do this now would be the home inspectors. And, uh, you know, and that home inspector would only be if in the case that, uh, that the client wanted to have that done. Again, home inspection is something that you as an agent highly recommends, uh, your clients to get, to read, go with the inspector, make sure they understand what's going on, but it is not a legal requirement that they had to fulfill. So I wanted to make sure I was clear on that. Okay? So it's not a requirement anymore. Uh, the next thing that I wanted to do is the last time we left, I was showing you a couple things on the, uh, website on the blackboard website so i'm going to switch over here to my plasma screen and what i want to do is bring this up and then i'm going to take you to here in a second to the uh area that i was talking about i want to show you a couple things that we have in there underneath the fha link so i'm going to go here to the uh website links and i'm going to slide down here to chapter this chapter which is on the government programs and i'm going to go in here and I think where we left off the last time, and I'll change the size of the text here, too, so we can see it a little better on the TV sets. All I was pointing out here was that FHA provided, in my personal opinion, for especially for people that have never owned a house before, a really good, simple guide that they can follow that answers the questions from the time that you buy the house until you are finished and close the transaction. So, for example, they, they talk about first figuring out how much you can buy, how much you can afford. Uh, they go on from there. Uh, they talk about certain things like taking a look at uh, buying versus renting, whether or not that, you know, you're better off to continue to rent or is there an incentive for you to buy right now. They go down here and they talk about know your rights, so know about fair housing. Uh, another thing is the settlement. We've talked about that before, so if clients want to know about the real estate uh, Settlement Act, um, uh, you know, in other words, knowing where their money or how their money is being used when they finance the, the loan, that's covered. Uh, the next one is uh, shopping for a loan, going down and how to go about shop for a loan, how to look for one, what's the best way you can go about doing that. Number four, learn how uh, about home buying programs. There are a number of different home buying programs that are available. For example, there's a uh, organization here in town called the Home Loan Counseling Center that every week, almost every week, puts out home buying programs as a community uh, outreach program to different parts of the community for help people that have ne want to buy a home and have never bought one before and want to know what the steps are and how to own and maintain and manage a home. Uh, the next thing they cover in here is something shopping for a home. So they'll talk about, you know, things like fixer-uppers versus, you know, what to look for when you're buying it. So it covers all of that information. The next thing is just making an offer, okay? In other words, we're getting into the negotiation process, so how does that work? Uh, next thing is, is shopping for home owner's insurance, and we're specifically talking about 
uh, things like fire insurance or homeowner's insurance. In other words, getting insurance that's going to protect you in the, and the lender in the event that the house burns down or some kind of a calamity like a, a tree falls on it or something along that line. Then finally down the bottom here, they talk about signing the papers and the costs and helpful information that you need to know. So again, this happens to be something that I think is beneficial to people that are looking to buy their first home or even people that are getting ready to go back into the marketplace again. FHA has this. I'm also going to show you one other thing on here before we go any further, and this happens to be the FHA mortgage limits. And this changes on a fairly, uh, changes on an annual basis. And the way that this thing works is that you can go in here and you can, this is all in one data file. So you can look at specific states. You know, you can talk about which state we happen to be in California. You can talk about what counties. And the concept here is that you can search by city, by state, by county, uh, things like that. And if you just want, if you just want like county, uh, if you just want um, California and that's it, you just want to have a list of them, you just say, okay, California. If you want to narrow it down, you can put down whatever county you're looking for. Once you do that, you just say send, bing, bada bing, there it is, up at the top. And I'm going to raise this up a little bit. It'll show you the MSA name, which is uh, Metropolitan Statistical um MSA means Metropolitan, Metropolitan Statistical Area, I believe, which is a grouping of counties that follow statistical information, such as how much do people make in those areas, you know, what's the average home price, you know, so on and so forth. So that's we're talking about what statistical area you're in, what the code is, what division it is, what the county name is, the county code, the state, and then after that we talk about whether we're dealing with a one-family a two-family, a three-family, or a four-family, okay? And then finally, and they give you when it was revised last, which is the most important, one of the most important dates you want to look at. Because a lot of times when you're looking at some of these websites, you're thinking to yourself, you know, how accurate is this? If they tell you, you know, like, for example, if you start seeing numbers that the uh, Fannie Mae uh, conforming loan amount is 359000 you know that that's last year's information. If you're in real estate, you know it's 417000 now. So, in other words, you need to make sure it's up to date. But the point is, is that I'm going to slide down here, and I'm going to, if you can remember that when we see a dollar figure in here, that's going to be talking about one, two, or three, or four. But if we go down to Sacramento, which is located under Sacramento, let me see if I can find it in here. Sacramento is called Sacramento Arden Arcade. Okay, and if we look over here, these are the amounts. 362000 for a single family, 446 for a two-family like a duplex, 542 for a triplex, and then finally 625 for a fourplex. Okay, so that gives you an idea of what their loan amounts are. So one of the things I want to mention, you need to keep up on these places or this information, keep up to date on it. Keep in mind that this changes and uh, all, and the other thing I want to mention too is although these websites are good, they what's ending up happening is is that they take a lot of attention. A lot of people have to do a lot of maintenance to keep the data up to date, uh, keep it accurate and up to date. And in some cases, you want to make sure that it is the most current information should be, but you want to make sure it's the most current information. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to move on to if I can find it in here into the VA programs. 
And, oh, one more thing underneath the, um, underneath this that I want to do. One more thing that I want to do, if I can find it in here. Um, single family FHA insured programs. I think this is important. Let me go back here. I gotta fix something really quick. Uh, go back. I thought I had that corrected. Um, and I'm gonna go to websites. And I'm gonna go down here to right here. And um, go in here and modify that one uh, single-family FHA insured programs right here. Don't pay attention to this. This is something that um, I thought I had corrected, so it'll open up in its own window, and it's not. So I'll say yes and submit. Okay. So I'm going to go back to that. And uh, single-family FHA insured programs. If you remember, the book talked about the various programs. And I thought this was good idea because the book reflects this, and what you really want to do is know, you know, find out all the programs. As I mentioned before, not the book does not by any means cover all of the programs. But in this particular, let me see if I can make this a little bit bigger, make a little bit larger. Yes, I can. Okay. This is the FHA 203B program we talked about, which is the typical program that we normally get if we're getting an FHA loan. This is... Um, let me see if I can go back here. Again, it's apparently covering up the text here. Okay, um, some of the other programs. This is something called the uh, 255 Home Equity Conversion. This is the reverse mortgage program. So for people that are looking for reverse mortgages that are insured by FHA, that's the program. This is the FHA 203K program. That's the rehabilitation program. That's where you buy the house with the understanding that you're going to borrow enough money with the final loan to be able to do the repair work and bring it up to standard. That was the part where I talked about where you need to have a contractor come in and give you bids and prices of what it's going to take to fix. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to point that out to you uh, that that these are some of the programs that you can find out directly from the FHA website. Now with that, I'm going to now move on, if I will, to the VA loan program, Veterans Administration loan program. And one thing I do want to mention to you as I speak right now, many times people, when you talk to people that are in the business, they will probably tell you something like, well, we don't do that many VA or FHA loans anymore. You know, we, uh, I think when I talked to Jeff yesterday who happens to be a, happens to be a, uh, a VA, FHA, CalVet, the whole shebang, uh, you know, type of appraiser, he said that he's probably done an FHA appraisal, maybe he's done one or two in uh, every month. And he said many times what he sees is, uh, uh, same thing with CalVet. You know, you don't see a lot of these loan programs being utilized a lot, and the main reason why is because there are limits. We just happen to be in a marketplace in which the houses are worth or the, the prices are much higher. So we end up running out of being able to use these programs because the limits are not staying up. But I think it's very important, though, that as a real estate professional, you know about these programs, you're aware of them. And uh, many times you will want to pay attention to these programs because of the fact that they can be put together, in some cases, with other programs, other programs that can help with things like down payments, uh, 
just a lot of other th- functions. So they're kind of like, look at them as like uh, a series of tools that you can use to help clients finally finance the property that they're wanting to buy, especially first-time buyers. Anyway, I'm going to start on the VA Loan Guarantee Program. Notice it uses the word guarantee versus insurance, just a different term. And I'll just give you a little background here. It says, in 1944, a grateful U.S. Congress passed the Servicemen's Readjustment Act to provide returning World War II veterans with education, medical, and home loan benefits to help them readjust to civilian life. The law is often referred to as the GI Bill. Now, for those of us that have been in the military, (laughs) we are thoroughly familiar with this program. Uh, As an example, the prob- I think it was either the first or the second house that I bought, I know uh, I used the VA loan. Uh, I ended up going to college because the VA helped pay for my education. Okay, The VA provides things like medical care for people that have service-connected disabilities. So the VA has a large amount of benefits they provide to veterans. So... Uh, and a lot of people, for example, uh, one of the people that was uh, ran for president of the United States, Bob Dole, Robert Dole, who was hurt during the Second World War, one of the re- ways he was able to go to college was the GI Bill, the loan program, the, uh, not the loan program, but the GI Bill for education. So there's a lot of people from all walks of life that have used this program. Very, very important program. Usually, we're using this program to buy our first, second, or third house. And what's ending up happening is we don't have, as I've mentioned many, many times, we don't have a lot of money. If you've ever been in the military, you know that you don't have a lot of money. Uh, You're coming back from, in many cases, a lot of our vets now are serving overseas a lot. In other words, they're, they're, they're not just over there for a short period of time. They're over there for an extended period of time, so that's even preventing them from... You know, like a lot of times in the military, people will actually go out and work an extra job to earn some income to help buy the first house, but they can't even do that because they're deployed overseas all the time. So these programs become very, very important for the vets. Um, going down from there, it says one of the very important benefit of the VA loan guarantee uh, is the loan guarantee. That's one of the important parts of the program. The guarantee is extended to eligible veterans to assist them in the purchase of home own purchase of owner-occupied residential property of up to four units. So the program can be used for single-family, duplex, triplex, or fourplex, as long as you're living in one of them. No investor loans of any type are guaranteed by the VA. Okay? So that just gives you a basic start with the program. A couple things of the loan characteristics when you're dealing with a VA loan, just so that you know ahead of the... These ahead of time, and again, as I've mentioned many times, I'm only giving you what is happening at this point in time. Six months, a year, two years down the road, this can completely change. So that's why you want to keep up to date on this. But anyway, VA loan characteristics. It says the VA loan program has a number of features that are attractive to borrowers who qualify. Number one, the VA loan may may not have prepayment penalties, which is nice. So if you bought the house with the intention that you were going to live there, maybe you were going to buy it and you were going to fix it up and you were going to live there for a couple years and then you were planning on having a family and you wanted to sell it and buy another house. You're not faced with prepayment penalties, which is very, very important. That can end up being to be a fairly substantial amount of money. So that's one of the features of this program. Number two, the VA loan may be assumed by anyone. The new buyer does not have to be a veteran. Now, That is important if you're getting ready to sell a house and you want to pass on a loan. 
to another person. And that person, unlike, say, for example, in CalVet where they have to be a veteran, here it could be anybody. But I am going to be directing your attention to a very, very important topic later on in this lecture about why it is so important that if you sell a house that you've got a VA loan on, that you need to get a release of liability. And I'm going to talk about that because you are finan- your name is going to show up. If somebody buys the house, assumes the loan, and you do not get this release, your name is going to be showing up on all the notices of default. You know, it's going to really be a mess. So you want to take that, and you want to do that before you want to start that activity before you put the house on the market. So we'll be talking more about that. Number three, no mortgage insurance is required. What that means is that you pay a fee up front, but you're not paying a monthly or an annual fee for the mortgage insurance. Okay? Number four, funding fees may be financed. So, for example, uh, if you have points, you may include them in the loan as long as you're not exceeding the limits. Okay, very important fact. Builder warranty is required on new, all new homes. Okay, so you have to have a building, you know, so in case the sinks, and you know, like for example, those become very important. I built a house about two, almost three years ago. It would be three years in July, and I was very happy with, you know, the work that was done. But still, did I have some things that I had to get corrected? Yes. And some of the things that you would never think needed to be corrected. Uh, it's just amazing. So it is important that you have a home warranty program under the builder and that you make sure that if anything is wrong, that you call the builder and get that taken care of within that warranty period of time, which is normally one year. Okay. Uh, next thing is this closing costs may be paid for by the seller. Okay, so in other words, you could negotiate into your transaction to say to the, that the seller would turn around and pay the closing costs, which would be a way that the seller would make their property more attractive to the market when they're trying to sell it. You know, what you want to keep in mind is that if, especially if your house happens to fit into that category where where maybe it may be able to be bought by somebody that can that can fit into that limitation of FHA, VA, or CalVet loans. You may probably want to include that and think about how you have to handle that when you put the home on the market. That might be something that would help you sell that property by saying that you are more than ready, willing, and able to cooperate with FHA, VA, or CalVet on the sale of a property. But having your agent or you as an agent find out what needs to be done Ahead of time, so you know how much time is involved, is very important. Very, very important. Okay. Um, After that, it goes on and says, while no mortgage insurance is required, the VA charges a funding fee that is currently set to 2%. Again, always watch these percentages. They could always go up or down. 2% on no down payment loans. So that means what's ending up happening, whatever you're borrowing is a 2% fee that is charged. So, for example, if it's $100,000, 2% would be $2,000. It's charged for this one-time fee to pay for that guarantee. Okay. For second-time users, which, by the way, you can reuse the program again if you follow certain specific guidelines, second-time users with eligibility, the fee is 3%. Okay. So... You want to kind of keep that stuff in mind when you're dealing with this, okay? Um, okay. I'm just going to go down through um, this. 
It just goes on from there, but the important point is this closing costs are not permitted to be financed. Closing costs mean things like escrow fees, title fees, things like that, okay? Are not, uh, not permitted to be financed with the loan. However, the VA sets maximum fees for these amounts. These fees are charged from the time, from t- changed from time to time by the VA. So again, make sure you check on this stuff. But some of the examples they give is things like a maximum 1% loan fee. Uh, appraisal fees are set by the regional VA office so that, you know, in other words, you know, that VA appraiser is not in a position where they can charge you five, six, seven hundred dollars as a set fee that they're going to agree to. Credit report, report fees may not exceed the, the cost charged to the lender. Okay. And typically lenders usually what they do is whatever fee that you end up paying for the report, they just pass that on. They don't charge, they don't try to make a profit on that. The veteran may pay for hazard and flood insurance if required. The veteran may pay for title insurance. These are things to let... Now, you may say, well, why is that important? The reason why is because historically in the past, one of the problems with some of these government programs is the fact that they would turn around and put the burden of that on the seller. They'd say, the seller must do this. The seller must pay this fee. And what would happen is the sellers would say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not going to get stuck with all those fees to buy. Therefore, if I have to pay all those fees, I'm not going to deal with a person that's going to get a VA loan. So the advantage of knowing this is the fact that we've now said, or looking at it a different way, is is if we say that 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 the buyer can pay for it, means that it's a fully negotiable item. Either the buyer or the seller can pay for it. Very important. So, for example, the veteran may pay for hazard and flood insurance if required. The veteran may pay for title insurance or the seller can pay for it. So it's negotiable. The veteran must pay the VA funding fee. The VA, uh, the veteran must pay for the recording fees. And the veteran is responsible for prorated interest and property taxes, okay? This part here is critical. This is absolutely crucial here. And the reason why I say that is I'm standing here telling you today that this happened to me. <laughs> this happened to me. I sold a home years and years ago. After I, what ended up happening is I needed to sell a house. Uh, the interest rates, if memory serves me correctly, were fairly high. We decided at the time that we were going to turn around and sell it and allow somebody else because there wasn't a tremendous amount of equity in the property. I think we probably owed about $30-some-thousand. We were going to sell it for about $37,000. It's a long time ago. So consequently, it was very, it was a big incentive to allow somebody to assume my existing VA loan. But what I did not get was something called the release of liability that I'll be talking about in a minute. I sold the house. I don't know how much time passed by. It could have been a year. It could have been two years. I can't remember now because I'm getting old and I forget those dates. But I remember going home one day and the phone rang. And when I picked up the phone and answered the phone, what it was, it was an investor on the other line saying, hey, I understand uh, uh, that you're, uh, I would like to find out if you'd be interested in selling your house that's in foreclosure. And I said, what house that's in foreclosure? I've been making my monthly payments. And what it was is my name was still showing up as being the one that was in foreclosure. So that is a very, very critical thing that you as an agent need to make sure your clients are aware of. And they even talk about it in the book that many times people don't stop and take a breath for a minute and realize they need to address this issue if they are going to do a VA uh, assumption. Now, people will say, well, we haven't done those things in years. Well, if you say that, then you're wearing a great, and you're not interested in it, then you're wearing a great big sign on your head that says, I am a new person in real estate and haven't been around a long time. 
because there are times in which the financing gets tight and people all of a sudden are starting to look at allowing people to assume loans. Okay, it's just that those people that make that statement haven't been around that long. So anyway, sale by assumption, very important. Veterans who obtain loans guaranteed by the VA are legally obligated to identify payback the United States government for any claim paid out by the veteran under loan guarantee. Okay? Um, the next thing that we, you need to always look at, too, is, is that we also have a California law that applies to this, which I think I need to, uh, I'll need to also check on that, too, because this is... Uh, we're foreclosing in California under something called the deed of trust. So I'm going to be checking on that. I'll report back to you the next time on that because there's some legal impacts on that. Because in California right now, if you do get a loan and the purpose of the loan is to purchase the property and it is sold out of foreclosure, then the, the person that borrowed the money, they cannot get what they call a deficiency judgment. So I'm going to be doing just like I did with the appraiser. I'll be contacting a couple people and getting a reading on this to find out whether or not this specifically is applying in California. What this amounts to is if the property sells for less than what you owe, then a deficiency would be that you, you, you sold it for less than what you owe. So uh, it means that the lender could go back and do things like attach your wages. So that's what we're talking about. In California, under the deed of trust, you can't do that, okay, if it's, uh, if it's for a purchase money type of a loan. But I'll find out more details the next time. After that, it says this is the case, uh, a case for the life of the loan. Regardless of whether the property has been sold, foreclosed, or transferred to another, it is important that the veteran who sells or transfers a home where the VA loan will not be paid off in full be made aware of this fact. A veteran may be released from liability on the loan only if the following three conditions are met. Okay? Number one. The loan has to be current. So in other words, if you're not current on the loan, if you're just saying, I'm going to have some other person assume the loan and you're not current, they're going to say, no, we're not going to allow that to happen. Number two, the purchaser must be an acceptable credit risk. So that means that the purchaser has to submit to whatever the underlying underwriting requirements happen to be, such as a credit check, income check, or whatever. Number three, the purchaser must assume the obligations and the liabilities of the veteran on the loan, including to the indemnity obligation. Okay, The indemnity obligation means that the veteran must reimburse the U.S. government for any loss on the loan. The assumption of the obligations must be evidenced by a written agreement as specified by the VA. Okay, And what they do is they go on beyond this. And I think that this, in my personal opinion, if you start getting into any kind of a loan assumption, I don't care whether it's VA, FHA, it doesn't make any difference what it is conventional. You, as the real estate agent, need to stop and say for a minute, if I allow, if I participate in this, what is the financial impact on my seller? You know, what could my seller end up with? And the reason why is because if your seller does not understand all of the implications and later on there's a foreclosure, guess who they're going to go back after? They're going to go back after you because you did not properly advise your client. Very important. So you need to think about this. If you have any kind of a loan assumption, what are the financial 
responsibilities and the legal obligations that you have underneath that loan. And if you do and you're going to allow the assumption, then how do you get yourself, how does your seller get out from underneath those? Very important. Okay, going on beyond that, and this process is pretty much the same on any loan. It says to facilitate a veteran's release from liability on a loan a new buyer intends to assume, it is best to include the sa- in the sales contract a provision to that effect. So in other words, it says the sales agreement should provide that the buyer will assume all of the loan obligations, including the liability for indemnity on the VA loan, and that the sale will not be closed unless and until the VA approves the credit and the income of the purchaser. The seller must apply to the VA for a formal release. Okay, So you want to be aware, if you're going to use this assumption as an incentive to attract buyers because maybe the interest rate on the loan is lower than the going rate, then you as the agent want to make sure you've taken the time to find out what's all involved in that, what paperwork needs to be done, what kinds of documentation you need, so on and so forth. So you don't get involved and say, oh, my goodness, now I find out I've got 30, 60, 90 days worth of stuff i got to get done in order to get the loan closed. You want to know that up ahead of time. Okay? And then after that, um, let me see. This is what I, I, I circled this because I thought this was important. This is so real to life. It says, unfortunately, this procedure is often neglected and sales are consummated without submitting the application for release liability to the VA. And in many cases, without the new buyer formally agreeing to assume the payment on the loan. If the sale closes without obtaining the release from the VA, the veteran will find his, find that he or she is fully liable in the case of a default. Very important, very, very important, okay? Um, I think I've said enough about that. Next thing we want to do is talk about the uh, restoration of the entitlement. And VA over the years has changed this around a lot. At one time, if you could think about this, I think, and I'm really stretching back my memory on this, but I believe that uh, back in the 70s when I used the VA the first time, that you were allowed to use the entitlement one time, period, At the end of that one loan, regardless at that time, whether you paid it off or somebody assumed it or whatever you did, you never could get to use a VA loan again. Now we're taught, now we talk about how we can restore that, that privilege or that right again. So that's what this is about. So what they've done is they've expanded that. They've said you can reuse that again, but you have to understand under what circumstances. Where would this play a role? It would be, for example, if you were getting ready to help somebody buy a home, and maybe they had said to you, oh, by the way, I want to use the VA loan again, okay, because I don't have a lot of money to put down or I don't have quite enough to put down. And you thought that it fit, and they, which you would have to ask them, have you ever used this before? And if they say yes, then you have to go back to the rules and see how this affects their ability to apply for the loan. So what it does is it goes down and says, a veteran who has paid off his or her loan and sold the house on which the loan was secured may have, may, notice the word may, may have all his or her entitlement restored. May have. May have means to me that you know there's some kind of a qualifier there that you need to be looking at. Entitlement is the maximum insurance amount that the VA will provide for the veteran's home loan. By act of Congress, the veteran is entitled to the amount by virtue of his or her service in the armed forces. Entitlement may be restored if the property is sold to another veteran who substitutes his or her liability for the seller. What that means is that 
If you're selling the home, a classic example would be you have a client, the client turns around and <clears throat> excuse me, the client turns around and wants to sell their home and buy another home, and you're going to be the agent helping them in both cases. And they maybe want to use the VA loan again. That's where we're talking about in this scenario. Okay. Uh, let me see. To restore the entitlement, the veteran must apply to the VA and fill out all the necessary forms, just like they would with any other kind of a program. Now, the next thing that we want to talk about is who's eligible. There are eligibility requirements. Now, the, the, the tricky thing here, and some people accuse me of having trick questions on this stuff, and I'm not trying to trick anybody. What it is is that you have to really read the fine print to know who is and who is not eligible for this program. Uh, again, uh, this is part of, and I'll talk about it in a minute, part of the fact of you, uh, when you apply for the loan, you're going to have to get something called the Certificate of Eligibility, which I believe I'll be showing you, and there's a process you go through. But the first thing is, is to know, in order for to be eligible for it, you have to have been in the service during a certain period of time. And the funny thing is, as obscure as some of these rules sound, you may find out that some, it may apply to somebody. So anyway, eligibility. Okay, eligibility. Eligibility requirements for the VA loan vary depending upon when and where a veteran served and the length of service. Okay. In general, the periods of active wartime service are, so this is wartime. This is where Congress got together and said we're in a war and had picked a date, set a date, and said from that point on, we are at war. Okay, and, and then they finally have another date that they close that out. So, for example, in World War II, it went from September 16th of 1940 to July 25th of 1947. Okay, so that was a period of time, if you served during that period of time. Then you had what we call the uh, Korean conflict, which went from 50 to 55. And then we had the Vietnam era, which went from 64 to 1975. That's considered the period of time that you're in the service that we have a war going on. Okay? Under these conditions, it says the veteran must have a minimum of 90 days of active service and have been discharged under conditions other than dishonorable. Other than dishonorable means honorable and general. And there are different levels of discharges why you were discharged from the military. Most people, most of us, we're in the military, did our deal, did our time, served, done with it, and got a, you know, we're honorably discharged. Okay, but there are people under certain circumstances that have general discharges. And then there's also a procedure for some people to upgrade from a general to an honorable, but that's another topic. Okay, but for those people, it's 90 days that you're in the military. Then you also have what we call the Persian Gulf, which started in 1990, and they put down here two to be determined meaning that Congress has not set a final date on that yet. Uh, down here it says golf veterans must have completed 24 months of active service or, f or, or f I'm sorry, of active duty or a full period, at least 90 days of which were called up to active duty. We're starting to talk now about people that were in the military that were not active duty. And let me see if I can clarify that because we have a lot of situations like that now. Typically, <clears throat> when we talk about active duty, we're talking about people that did like I did. You know, you actually signed up for the military, you went into basic training, you went through basic training, you went to training at a technical school, and you were actually, your job for the next 
four, six, or eight years was you worked in the military. You know, you carried a weapon, you worked on planes, you did something. That was your job. That's active duty military. We also have people, and we see this now happening with the war in Iraq, and it happened in the Gulf War, where people that are in the reserves and the National Guard, their, their group is called up, and the next thing you know, they're over in the war situation. They're in the war. They're the ones actually on the front lines, you know, fighting the war. So what we're talking about is those people that normally were the kind that would maybe do one weekend a month and two months during the summer are now all of a sudden full-time people in the military. So now when they serve that time, they, they now qualify, even so they're a reserve or National Guard. So anyway, um, that's why that becomes important. They also have a category here called peacetime veterans are also eligible. And if you look at the dates, these are between like between the Second World War and Korea, and between Korea and Vietnam. That's what we're talking about. In that particular case, we're talking about the people, those veterans during this period of time, veterans must have had at least 181 days of a continuous active duty. So the key there is when did you serve? Okay. Now, you may be wondering, well, why do we have this 60 days or 90 days or 180 days? It's because there are some people that for different reasons were in the military and maybe possibly, for example, when I was in the service, we had people that would go into basic training. They, During basic training, it was determined for whatever reason that they were not a good fit with the military and they were discharged for some other reason, some kind of a reason. Uh, they may have had a physical problem that wasn't discovered as part of the initial physical. It could be a lot of different reasons, but they did not serve 90 days or 180 days. Okay, so that's where that day limitation comes into account. Okay, so anyway, there's a whole bunch of dates in there. Last thing I highlighted down here that I wanted to make sure I emphasized was that selected reserves and National Guard are eligible after six years of service and having attended weekend drills and two-week active duty training or if they have been honorably discharged, retired, transferred to standby reserve or ready reserve status. That's something that a lot of you maybe don't understand those terms, but your clients will. They'll understand what that means. They'll know that they were discharged and went into some other kind of reserve status, and they'll be able to tell you about that. Um, down here on this page... Um, we're, we're talking about a list of things that people have to have when they're getting ready to get the VA loan, okay? And the first step that you have to do when you're getting a VA loan is right here. The first step in the process is to determine if the veteran has a certificate of eligibility, okay? A certificate of eligibility, and I'm, and I'm going to show you what that is in a minute, but I'm going to read what this is because this is important. This is the get-go. This is the thing that you want to have your client obtain because you're going to need this to know whether you can use the VA loan or not. So if somebody walks into your office and after you talk to them for a while and you've determined that for whatever reason that they would be a candidate to use a VA loan, one of the things that you're going to have to do is, first of all, get them started with the process and if you're a lender, hopefully you, you're already familiar with this, of getting, getting them to get the certificate of eligibility. Very important. Okay? And what it's really going to do is it's where the VA is going to evaluate to find out whether you fit the criteria to be eligible to get a loan through the VA. Okay? 
So I'll go through and read this. The certificate of eligibility notifies the lender that the veteran is, is eligible for a VA loan and what his or her entitlement will be. Presently, veterans receive this form as part of their discharge papers. We, when you get discharged from the military, you get lots of, <laughs> you get lots of papers. And some of us are very good at holding on to that stuff, and some of us just file it away and are looking for it. You know, So, I mean, it may be where the veteran has everything in a folder. The military is usually very good about giving you places to store stuff, putting them in envelopes, doing things like that, but you need to make sure they have that. Uh, if the veteran does not have this form, he or she will have to apply to the VA for a certificate of eligibility. This is done by submitting a request for certificate eligibility form, which I'll show you in a minute, along with a copy of their DD-214 discharge paper. For all of us that were in the military, we know what a DD-214 is. It shows what branch of service we were in, when we, when we enlisted, when we were discharged, what, what job, kind of a job we did called our, our, uh, in the Army they call it an MOS, in the Air Force they call it an AFSC. It's, in other words, it's a job code that says, you know, you were an aircraft mechanic or you were uh, a tank mechanic or you were a uh, personnel specialist. It says that. It says whether or not you were in any kind of a war area. Uh, like when I was in, we called it Southeast Asia time. You know, so it, it lists all that stuff and it's signed. And for every period of time that a veteran is in the service, even if, they, if they're in for four years and they re-enlist, they get, actually get discharged and they get a DD-214. So for some of us, we have several of these. Okay. Um, anyway, along with a copy of his or her DD-214 discharge, this form needs to be submitted before any other part of the loan progress can go forward because only the, only the VA may determine the veteran's eligibility for a loan. And it is likely that this process will take some time. We have no idea how long that's going to take, but it's important, though, that we understand that there is a process that we go through. It says the VA allows the use of a uniform loan applicant forms and encourages uses of electronic underwriting. Uh, okay, this is just talking about the loan programs that um, that your normal lenders use. One of them is called the desktop underwriter. Uh, uh, another one's called loan prospector. They're ones that help the lender fill out the appropriate documentation. And using forms, if you remember correctly, we were talking about forms, the standard forms, so that the loan is done correctly so it can be sold. Okay. All lenders are, po um, sorry, Michelle, all lenders are responsible for conforming to in full to the VA requirements. This includes the use of VA approved appraisers and underwriters. All VA loans require the following additional documents to the lender. Uh, you need to have something called the VA form loan summary sheet. You have to have the certificate of eligibility form. You have to have uh, VA form acknowledgement and receipt of funding fee. You have to have the something called the certificate of reasonable value. We call it an appraisal. Okay. Uh, you have to have a report and certification of loan disbursements. You have to have the HUD-1 form that we've talked about where it shows all the money, where all the money is going. Name and mailing address, uh, uh, requesting a file name and mailing address to be used in requesting file for the audit and an email address to be used in lieu of mailings, okay? Now, this happens to be the certificate of eligibility. This is the request. This is the request, not the certificate. It's the request. And this you can get also on the VA loan website. 
where you can fill this out and actually, you know, submit it along with the documentation. This is something you want to get established right away. Okay, if you're going to use that. The same thing applies to CalVet loan programs, by the way. Under CalVet, they use a procedure that's just like this, where they're depending upon the Veterans Administration to, to tell them whether or not the person is eligible for a, the loan. So if it's CalVet or VA, you're going to go through the same process. And again, this is just asking for information from the veteran, their name, address, phone number, you know, uh, when they were in the service, so on and so forth, okay? That's what they're looking at, and you would f make sure that's filled out. There is another form here. I love these forms when you get all done. This is the, and your book shows you something, and I can blow this up. It's, you can't read it even in the book, but it is the instructions for the VA form. Uh, on how to fill the form out. What, in other words, that supplement that form and tell you what you put in what block and tell you the rules and the guidelines for it. Okay? So that covers the VA loans. That covers the Veterans Administration. What I do want to do at this time is I'm going to go ahead and switch over back again to the, uh, in a second here, I'll bring it up, will be the uh, uh, website. I hate to keep jumping around. But I'm going to bring up the veterans website that I have on here. And I, I, I want to say something. The VA, for some reason, has just recreated this website, I guess recently. And it takes a while to poke around and find what you're looking for. Uh, a couple things that I want you to be aware of. Uh, I think maybe it's a work in progress. I don't know what to say, but uh, FHA's website is much nicer, uh, much cleaner, much easier to navigate around. But this is the portal to the veterans, and this covers a lot of vet information, basic information you would want to know about, such as health benefits, you know, health care benefits, burial, memorials, um, you know, home loans, um, you know, all kinds of things. You know, are you eligible for a home loan? All of this stuff is covered on their website. Uh, they also have, um, let me see, they also have some videos here. And they have them so you can watch them both in the Windows Media file and the real media. The only thing that I found is that they seem to work better if you're off campus than if you're on campus. Because they're streaming media, we've got something called the firewall that's really reducing and using something called bandwidth shaping that reduces that capability for them to come on, on the campus. But they have a number of videos that they've created to help the veteran prepare for getting a loan. They're about one of the few sites that does that. Um, if you're looking for about specific VA programs, there's a series of pamphlets here that you can go in and open up and download, okay, that talks about the various loan programs. So I just want you to realize that that they have their information here that can help you poke through and find out stuff. They also have a section, I think they do, called Lenders and Real Estate Professionals section, which would involve where you would be able to get, they have a handbook on there that you as a professional can go and get access to if you're like a loan underwriter or whatever. So there's a lot of information on their website that can help you out. Okay, But it takes a little bit of time to poke around and find it. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk briefly because I think the last part of this um, 
I'm going to be talking about the chapter that deals with the CalVet loan program. CalVet. Okay. CalVet is a program that is a California, unique to California. Uh, it is not a program that it's not a program that where you can use it if you happen to be a CalVet and you're buying a home in another state. In other words, you're, this, the purpose of this program is you're buying a home in the state of California. Let me switch over here to my plasma screen for a second. And i got to do a couple things here. Okay, just get things zoomed in correctly. Okay, zoom back out again. Okay, CalVet program. They also have an excellent website with a lot of information that can help the veteran. They're, uh, they also make loans, by the way, on mobile homes. And so, for example, if you have somebody that is going to be buying a mobile home in a park where they lease a space, this is a program that can help them out with. Okay? So, again, you kind of want to keep this in mind. This program, again, you have to evaluate it with the other programs. It may very well fit and help your clients out. Okay, also there are some other additional features that I ran into that I didn't know in doing my research for the lecture in which some, uh, one, of the fees, um, one of the fees can be waived if you happen to be a disabled veteran. Okay, so I'll show you that in this program. But anyway, so you know what this program is. It says, and we're going to finish up, we'll start this today and we'll probably finish it up the next time. So we've got one more show to go with this and, and finish up everything else. But it says an additional type of government-sponsored financing is available to the California veterans. In 1921, the California legislature enacted the California Veteran Farm and Home Purchase Program, which enabled the California Department of Veterans Affairs to provide eligible veterans with affordable financing to purchase home or farm property. So, you know, if you're looking to buy a farm, this might be something that will be well worth it. This is important here because it starts to tell you where they get their money from. Okay. Funding for the program has been provided since the program's inception through the sale of general obligation bonds and revenue bonds. Okay. The bonds have always been repaid by the veterans who participated in the program, and thus there has never been any direct cost to California taxpayers. If you're voting on this when you go to the polls, what happens is you'll see this listed as something you have to vote on as a, Cal a California uh, citizen, uh, as a California taxpayer or a resident of California. But what it will also do is tell you that there is no financial impact to us as California taxpayers because the program sells the bonds raises the money, uses that money to run the program, and to also lend the money out to the vets. It's a fully self-contained program, okay, fully self-contained. Um, let me see. Okay, originally the program was restricted to veterans. Oh, I'm sorry, I knocked it off with my pencil here. It says, originally the program was restricted to veterans who were born in California. Due to recent changes, the program has been vastly broadened. And I remember when I, and, and, and I probably could go back and dig through the, uh, through the Cal uh, Vet website and talk about when they possibly, you know, changed the program or whatever. But I do remember when I first came to California and I had, the first time I ever heard about this program. And if memory serves me correctly, and I, and, and, and I can't, you know, I didn't go back and check the way I would today. 
But at the time, you had to have been a, you had to be, when I originally looked into this program, you had to have been a resident of California when you entered the military. Okay, so somebody like me that lived in California as a resident and paid taxes and and owned a house, you know, did all those stuff, you know, voted and everything else, I still was not eligible because I had come in from New York. So now the program has been expanded to include veterans that are coming from other states, if you will, and so it's been broadened considerably now. Okay, um, let me see. Eligibility requirements. Okay. The most important change to the new CalVet program is that all veterans who either live in California or who plan to live uh, or who plan to live in California are eligible. So what that essentially means is that you could either be living in California or your intention is like, for example, like a lot of us, we went into the military. Uh, while in the military, you know, we, uh, uh, you know, maybe we might have been serving in another state. So maybe we entered the military in California. Our intention was that what we we're going to do is that, you know, maybe we we're going to then go be stationed at some military base, either overseas or maybe in New York or Florida or whatever. But our intention is that when we get discharged, we're going to come back to California. So if you have a vet that maybe is getting close to being discharged and thinking about coming back to California, and maybe is coming back on some kind of a leave and looking for a house. That's what we're talking about. They intend to live back in California again. Okay. No prior residency requirement. Any veteran who moves to California may qualify for the CalVet program. So that's very, very important. Number two, both wartime and peacetime veterans are eligible. So whether you fit within that date of time in which Congress had declared that we were in a war situation or whether you served during that peacetime, you still are eligible. Veterans who previously used the CalVet loan may obtain another loan subject to the current eligibility and the funding requirements. Okay, At one time, this program was so popular that you would put your name on a list and you were lucky if you ever got a CalVet loan. It's not like that anymore. And the reason why is because the, in, the interest rates are higher, if you will, in some cases than you're going to find out for conventional loans in some cases. So and what ends up happening is, is you can find out where, um, uh, if you will, the uh, – anyway, just with that being said – so, uh, and the last thing is loans may be obtained for outright purchase, rehabilitation, or construction. So if you're looking at constructing a house, this could be a program. So we're pretty close to the end now. The next time I'm going to be picking up here, I'm going to be talking about things that are on the website. I think it's a very, very important part of the program. Remember, you as a real estate professional need to know about all the programs, not just one, all of them, because we never know when one is going to become very popular and we're going to need to know a lot about it or what our clients need. With that, I want to thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you back here the next time. Take it easy. Have a nice day.